0: I couldn't bear to tell the wider family or anyone else really, till I knew the significance of what was happening. It wasn't that I was in denial, it's just that I didn't want to tell people and I certainly didn't want any sympathy messages
1: and I didn't want anyone being a bit ghoulish coming around to see me in case I
0: was going to die. When it comes to topics of conversation, Cancer probably isn't a subject most of us would be in a hurry to bring up in polite company. But why is this the case? Chalk it up to some ill-founded idea that those in poor health should suffer stoically and not burden others with their woes. In the broadest terms, as a society, transparency about our ailments and the physical and emotional strife that goes hand in hand with them is not one of our strengths. For many members of our peer group, these and many other reasons besides, factored into their initial reluctance to communicate their illnesses to those around them. For some, it was about not wanting to be treated differently.
1: It doesn't define us, that's the thing, you know, cancer is so small percentage of what we are, you know. I, I just need time for myself just to accept what's happening, go through the stages, have a, have a good cry, have a good shout and then try and get through and then
0: I'll talk to you. And then there are those for whom it wasn't about the message, but rather
2: the medium. A friend of mine got cancer some while back and he wrote a one-off funny blog and that sort of prompted me to to do this one. Uh, But unlike him, I kept it going. So today you're going to hear about our peer group's
0: cancer-related communication experiences in all their various guises and hopefully spot a method that you feel may work for you. Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast is an NHS podcast series where you'll hear frank and honest accounts from over a dozen cancer patients about their experiences with a disease that at some point, directly or indirectly, affects us all. Consider them your peer support network. I'm your host, Julia Bradbury. In 2021, I became one of the 375,000 people who are diagnosed with cancer in the UK every year. I know firsthand what it's like to have your life suddenly upended by this disease and the havoc it can wreak on your body, mind, and everything in between. I also know that with a little bit of luck and a lot of expertise, that surviving cancer isn't just possible, it's becoming more and more likely with every passing year. If you're listening to this podcast, it's likely that you or someone you love has recently received a cancer diagnosis. No doubt you've got questions and lots of them. Our hope is that this series can provide you with some answers. Our peers come from a wide variety of backgrounds. One thing that they all have in common, first-hand experience with cancer in its many shapes and forms. So think of us as your cancer support group Just in audio form. Today's topic of discussion, communication. Now, of course, not everyone will want to take their journey to the blogosphere. That's pretty understandable. For most patients, even that first step of telling their family can be an immensely challenging one. For a lot of people, they're afraid that the burden their diagnosis will place on their family outweighs the need others feel to be part of their loved one's life when it matters the most. This is a fallacy, and it's important to recognise it. The doctor-patient relationship is one of accelerated intimacy. But making the transition from accepting care from a professional in a clinical setting to admitting to friends or family that you need them is easier said than done.
3: I don't like the idea of like involving other people, even though they might be very close to me uh, in, in, in things like, like this. and uh, Not only that to, to worry about and not yet another person and their feelings as well, Just I'd like to face things on my own.
0: This sentiment is one that many of our peers can relate to. Like Sirdar, who learned he had prostate cancer in 2017. Many of them were initially reluctant to seek help from their families. But Sirdar couldn't keep it to himself forever.
3: It was very tough. It was very tough. Uh, Obviously, I I felt the need of uh, sharing it with somebody. But, uh, you know, on one hand, on the other hand, I thought to myself, no, Sirdar, you know, you're strong enough to cope with this on your own and you don't need to uh, to go and upset other people and so on and so forth. So, I mean, the last person, I uh, broke the news was my mum, and uh, when I got the news, the Christmas Eve itself, I was supposed to fl- to fly to Istanbul to spend Christmas with my mum, and uh, it was one of those things. I I didn't say anything uh, to to my family at the time. I waited for Christmas to go, you know, to go by. I, I waited for the New Year's Eve to go by. And um, comes New Year. I still didn't say anything. It's purely down to to, to my personality, really. Obviously, what happens is, I, the reason why I delayed breaking the news to, to my mother in particular is because, I mean, she's passed away now. And at the time, she was um, 85 already. 85 going to 86, yes. So therefore, you know, she was an old lady and the last thing I wanted to do was to upset her. Because invariably she would be, she would get very upset, you know.
0: Ultimately, Serdar realised the value of sharing his condition with someone who
3: loved him. I thought to myself, okay, let's delay it. Uh, on one hand, uh, the, the, yeah, on the other hand, uh, I wanted to tell her because I wanted to... Uh, I want their comfort.
0: Allowing ourselves to receive comfort from significant others at times of high stress is an important part of care, with benefits both psychological and physiological. It's important to both give others the opportunity to support us in this way and for us to willingly accept it. People who love and care for you want to be there for you, and keeping news like a cancer diagnosis from them will only cause pain and hurt in the long run. That said, what's the best way to break such news to your nearest and dearest? There are of course a number of approaches.
1: I called my son. And I asked him to come down to the hospital. I says, I have something that I, I just needed to come down um, because I've got something to share with you.
0: Wendy opted for the direct approach. Sometimes fears around telling people about your diagnosis can stem from concerns that it will lead to shifts in your relationships. In particular, parents who tell grown-up children that they have cancer can often see a change, with their offspring now feeling compelled to take care of them. And that can be a difficult adjustment to the status quo.
1: And he came down and I said, sit down. I was still in the reception room. I said, sit down. I says, look, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be absolutely fine. So I don't want you to worry about it. But I've just been told that I've got breast cancer, but don't worry. And I remember he just went white, you know. And I was trying to, you know, comfort him. Just with the words. And after that, I said, let's go, let's go home. Got all the information that I needed. And I walked from Waterloo to Battersea, where I live, because I just needed to keep moving forward. And um, we got back. And, you know, after a little while, I sat and all the information I started to read. To him. I remember him saying, Mum, the last time you read to me, I was, you know, seven, eight years old. And it's so comforting hearing you read to me.
0: When Wendy was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018, she knew she wanted to tell people, but she had to take some time to process the news herself and make sure she was ready to divulge it.
1: I don't like distraction. I like to just go. Do what I'm doing. Once I've sorted it, then I can share it with people. Because people take news so differently. I couldn't tell some of them that because they'd freak out and screaming and crying and wailing and, oh, my God, you're going to die. And there is no way could I have that negativity around me in any shape or form.
0: One of the first people Wendy made the decision to tell was her son, Aaron. It's often said that the mark of true understanding is being able to teach it to someone else. Wendy's an educator and as such was well experienced with presenting complex information to people in a way that makes it less intimidating than it might initially seem. A skill which proved to be very useful on that particular day.
1: With my son sitting in the kitchen and I'm just reading To him, it was a distraction for me because I can't really remember exactly what I was reading, but I was reading all the stuff the Macmillan nurse had given me and the booklets and stuff. But I could see my son, the penny dropping with him. So the more I think I put the teacher's hat on, the more information I'm giving you, the more you're understanding, the less fearful you're going to be, because we fear what we don't understand. So. That was my journey with him.
0: Aaron helped out whenever he could. But of course, no relationship is ever a one-way street. And he still needed to lean on his mum from time to time too.
1: We're very, very similar. He couldn't talk to me of his emotions because he didn't want to stress me.
0: Wendy had always been the caregiver to the people around her.
1: I've always looked after any after everybody in the family if there's ever been a problem whether it's financial emotional whatever Wendy Wendy will know so I'm like the monarch and I had no choice I had to learn to hand the baton over and that is an extremely extremely difficult thing for me to do because I was always the one that people would come to so I had to pass it over um, still holding on to it a little bit, um, you know he 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 would say to you, you know, you never let go, you know, you, you just still hold on. But um, yeah, I, it was difficult, but I had to do that because I had no choice.
0: Wendy came to learn that just because she wasn't always able to fulfil her own perceived role, it didn't result in any change to her identity. And as for her relationship with her son, it's gone from strength to strength.
1: He's my one and only son, and we've always been close. So it's it's just enriched. I think we've gone through an experience that no one else in the family or friends have had privilege to go through, my son and I, and it's brought us even closer than I thought that we could ever be.
0: There's no such thing as a good day to get told you've got cancer. But the timing of Jim's was particularly unfortunate.
2: The call came, can you come in on Christmas Eve? And, and of course then they, they know if you're, if you're getting called in that close to Christmas, it's, it's not gonna be good news. So I went in with my wife um, into a small little room in Basildon University Hospital, um, met the surgeon. And to the right of the surgeon, there's a nurse, and she's got a stack of cancer leaflets on her, on her lap, ready to pass, to pass over to me. So he said, do you know why you're here? Um, and I said, yeah, I, I guess you're going to give me some bad news.
0: Jim received his diagnosis, and together with his wife, made the decision to hold off telling the rest of the family until after the holiday season.
2: I left it until just before New Year. I wasn't going to dampen the family celebrations by, oh, by the way, happy Christmas, I've got cancer.
0: The idea of calling up his relatives or meeting up with friends in a cafe to fill them in on the news of his diagnosis was hugely unappealing to Jim. He didn't fancy spending hours with a phone to his ear or with a half-filled cup of coffee slowly going cold in front of him as he listened to people telling him that they were sorry this had happened to him. Instead, he decided to start a blog.
2: It's called The Blog of a Prostate Cancer Patient, and it's at jimcrabbycells.wordpress.com.
0: On his website, Jim documents with admirable frankness his own personal cancer experience, warts and all. He wanted to get the word out about his illness, not just to spread awareness, but because for him, sharing his battle made his situation more palatable. Sitting in front of his computer, he was confronted with a blank white screen and a blinking cursor. By forcing himself to tap away at that keyboard and put what he was going through into words, he was able to exert some sense of control over his narrative. He only shared what he wanted to. That way, whenever anyone asked him about his health, Jim could simply point them to the site. This is an approach that I can relate to.
2: It was also a way of... um letting people know what was going on without necessarily sending a woe is me email around to people. Jim started at the beginning. I've been referred up to Guy's hospital in London and my first appointment is on Tuesday 28th of January. I'm expecting that this meeting will map out my treatment path. I've been told to expect a five hour robot assisted operation. This will be a sort of cross between a flight simulator and fantastic voyage, albeit without Raquel Welsh. Jim's not a creative writer by trade. I'm a consultant specialising in, in leisure projects, so our output is is written reports. So I've 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 written all my professional life, but never kept a diary. His musings
0: bring you on a journey through every step of the cancer experience. Whether it's likening picking out your cancer treatment to purchasing a motor vehicle.
2: So I'm feeling like I'm looking for a new car and jumping from the Ford to the Vauxhall showrooms. The respective sales reps are pointing out the benefits of what they do, the likely happy outcomes and how I live happily ever after. Of course, the choice is yours and we respect whatever you decide. Thankfully, I don't get the impression that either Ben or Ingrid is on commission. But I do wish I had a definitive recommendation from what car. All
0: grappling with the fact that whilst he's seriously ill, he feels absolutely fine.
2: All the way through this process, I don't feel unwell. I have no symptoms and look like every other slightly overweight, grey-haired, 69-year-old. So I've taken to saying, I'm not ill, I've got cancer. The hormones have given me the occasional mild hot flush, but this is why they invented ice cream
0: every couple of paragraphs, he'll break down a complex part of the cancer problem, such as how it upends your priorities overnight. But he does so in a way that is succinct, relatable and witty all at once.
2: A long time ago, I wanted to be an astronaut, then to get a degree and then just simply to pay off our mortgage. Yesterday was to get home without wetting myself.
0: For Jim, the humour present throughout his blog, was a vital medium of communication for him during his cancer journey.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I grew up in Liverpool, where, where, where quick wit and and um and humour is 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 used in, in virtually every every circumstances.
0: And whilst humour can be a mask, it can act as a gateway too.
2: Often it's black humour, and, and often it's to um to to act as a cover, I guess, for um for deeper feelings. Um, of, of of concerns or, or fright or anxiety. That humorous conversation between a couple of people, the, the, the backs and forths, it can act as camouflage, but it also can give a way into um, to talking about um, otherwise sensitive subjects. Jim's willingness to share his
0: cancer story didn't start and end with the blog either. He also wanted to get the word out about prostate cancer to his friends and colleagues.
2: Yeah, I go, got got a a bit evangelical i guess about actually telling people to um to get themselves psa tested my my, my whole cancer thing started off uh, at my cricket club when we have a male cancer day promoted by the the orchid charity which is specifically well named orchid after testicular cancer but then they widened out into all forms of male cancer I'm club chairman, so in the end-of-season event, I have to get up and give a little speech and thank people for coming and say what a great cause it is. But also as part of that was saying, fellas, be aware of what the problems are, examine yourself and get a test. And so I had to walk the walk and got myself a PSA test. And that's when the whole thing started.
0: Now he's also tapped into the wider prostate cancer support community, from which he's found endless comfort and companionship.
2: How important has the prostate community been? Brilliant. Um I have had really good conversations with the nurses on Prostate UK on on the on their on their hotline. Again, in the early days of diagnosis, just simply wanting to know what it was about, and they, they were brilliant. Guys run a prostate club, for want of a better word. It it used to be, they used to meet monthly, face-to-face. They now meet more more or less monthly online. And there's a lovely girl, a lady called Danielle, who runs that. Uh, And and that's been great. And and through that, I've face-to-face or on a one-to-one basis have provided some information to people sort of three months behind me in the journey.
0: Perhaps more than anything, what Jim's learnt from his engagement with other cancer survivors and patients is the sheer number of people who've shared his experience and the importance of finding solace. And as Jim does so frequently, seeing the humour in that.
2: I was going out to bat last week. And the other batsman who I'd never met before is just, I can't run too much, I've got prostate cancer. And I said, well, so I'm in exactly the same position. So there's two of us going out there without a prostate between us.
0: As the old adage goes, a problem shared is a problem halved. Being forthcoming about your diagnosis, whilst it may seem intimidating at first, will help you lighten the emotional load, because despite what you may think, there are people out there, some of whom you know, and others who are complete and utter strangers, who will want to help you carry it. Help is available, whether it's found amongst friends and family, or in the countless support groups and communities out there both in person and online, where you're never too far away from someone with a sympathetic ear. And what's more, every time you share your journey, whether one-to-one or with an online audience like Jim's, the odds of your story and how you got through it reaching someone who desperately needs to hear it go up. On the next episode of Now What?, Your Cancer Support Podcast, our topic of discussion, will be deciding to have surgery. Well, it's something that everyone dreads, isn't it? It was a case of, come on then, let's get on with it, because I'm going to die a horrible death unless I take your expert advice. Now What? Your Cancer Support Podcast is an NHS podcast produced by What's the Story Sounds. It's hosted by me, Julia Bradbury. For more information on the topics discussed in today's episode, as well as links to additional resources, please check out our show notes. This series was created by the leading cancer specialists at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital and their patients, whose personal testimony you'll hear on this and every other episode of the podcast. We're beyond grateful for their contributions. Chi, Jim, Teresa, Sirdar and Wendy were the peers who featured on this episode. This episode was produced and edited by Jack O'Kennedy. Executive producers are Daryl Brown, Sophie Ellis, Stephanie Fraser, Naomi Good, Zainab Noor, Jessica Nyman, and Julia Tadeo. Special thanks to Placida Oginaka, Abiola Coker, Evan Russell, and Guy's Cancer Charity.